Hello and welcome to Jelly's podcast, Sound and Vision, a gentle stroll through the minds of some of the artists we, as an award-winning arts charity, encounter along the way. I had recorded an intro to this podcast um, with the wonderful Heather McAteer, but I am re-recording it because we have some really exciting news. Dramatic pause. Jelly has received a grant from the Cultural Recovery Fund, a government initiative administered by the Arts Council England to help arts organisations survive. If I had a fanfare jingle at this point, I would play it. If I had any jingle, actually, at this point, I would play it. So what does that mean to us? What does it mean to Jelly as an organisation? It means we can reopen in the spring for face-to-face workshops and chats and connect with loads more people. It means that we survive. It's literally a lifeline. So thank you so much, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, and for the Arts Council England. We think you're ace, because you're ace. Now on to my chat with Heather McAteer, an artist based in Reading, but originally from Belfast. She was one of our 12 artists at home in our recent residency programme. Before we start, I'd just like to say, you're one of the people who, during lockdown, I've seen and spoken to a lot, but we have only, we only met once and that was in the (laughs) on my doorstep yes when in the pouring rain and you were delivering a piece of artwork that I bought and but that's literally the only time we've actually met in the real life I know bizarre isn't it it's so weird it's more like this than actually in real life I know are you actually 3d human (laughs) (laughs) am I I don't know (laughs) anymore it's all theory but and I and I love that piece of artwork as well by the way it's now hanging in my doorway where the sun hits it and because it's a because it's embossing the sun hits it and you can see it all through the day so I had it I put it in lots of different places to see where it would go and it's it's just right by my door and because my door is a 1930s uh glass the color hits it as well so it's really lovely I really love it so thank you um so Heather so what brought you to Reading Heather actually I'm going to rephrase that because I think that's exactly how I said it to John I think it is it is yes and that would be dull (laughs) is there a different way to say it so what brought you to Reading how did you end up in Reading how did you end up in Reading that's a good one okay (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think of at least five or six different ways to say this Yeah. yeah So, Heather, how did you end up in Reading? Um, I'm, I'm slightly worried. Okay, you've just asked me that, but I think the bin men are coming. Because <laughs> they come in two rounds. This is brilliant. Because they come for the, um, the, the bit with the stuff, the, the, the bin with the food in, and then they come for the usual bin. You have, you have food collection already? Yeah. What part of future I'm, Reading are you in? And fancy Wokingham Borough. Oh, fancy yes. Wokingham Borough. Yeah, let's just go. And if, if they start, we then stop. we can do it again. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Shall I ask Sorry. you the question again? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, Heather, it's lovely to have you here to chat to. Can you just let me know how you ended up in Reading? I came here to do the MFA course at Reading University. Um, I kind of decided that. I wanted to do an AMA and um, and I looked into a few different places and um, Reading appealed to me because it's only a fine art department and I quite like that idea that it was only fine art people there. Don't ask me why, <laughs> but there was an appeal there. I remember looking at the little tiny prospectus for the department and there was some quite cool people listed as as visiting artists and I remember one of the people on there was Helen Chadwick and I was like oh my god I loved Helen Chadwick she was like you know one of my favorite artists and I was like I'd really like to go there you know and it was like silly it was actually small silly things like that 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 really counted and I had this idea that I didn't I didn't want to study in London but I liked the idea of 
of being close to London and being able to, you know, visit exhibitions and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's it. That's how I ended up here. Why did you end up staying after your MFA? I ended up meeting someone and then <clears throat> they become like, became my husband. So <laughs> that was kind of it. I didn't mean to stay here. I decided that I'd, I'd kind of come for two years and I think, I think that I, I like the idea of, of stepping outside my comfort zone. You know, because Belfast is a, a is a small place. You know, the art community, everybody knows each other, and there seemed to be this kind of well well trodden path that you know people did the BA course, the BA fine art course there. So yeah, I think I just decided that I wanted to do you know wanted to try something different. I needed to go somewhere else and explore explore other avenues and kind of you know, meet other people and explore the unknown. Um, and I, I thought that would kind of add something to my work, you know. And I, you know, I, I do, I do have this habit of not making life easy for myself. <laughs> but then I suppose, I suppose it's like anything, isn't it? If you stay in the same place, you, there is that concept that you're only looking for things that are inside of you anyway. But I think outside experience informs so much of who you are as a person as well as your creative practice and it's probably a little braver to do that as well do you do, yeah. you, do you think you're brave in the decisions that you make I think I was very brave then yes I mean I can't believe what I did you know I was in a relationship and I just decided that I could kind of like step away from that yeah, when I kind of think back, you know, I came here with like one suitcase, didn't know anybody. And yeah, it was really hard, but I I thought it was really important to do that. You know, in, in the days before mobile phones and the internet and that sort of stuff. I Absolutely. Think, oh my God. Oh my goodness. It's so much easier to do these things now with the internet and mobile phones and the way that you're connected to everybody mm-hmm. all of the time. So I think it's I think people underestimate how brave it is to to do those things back then. Yeah. And how yeah. did how after your the course was two years. Yeah. And yeah. did you feel like you achieved everything you wanted to achieve in in those two years on that course? Was it everything that you hoped um, it would be? It completely changed my work, and it gave me real focus. I I think before I came here, I, I, I was I was making you know. I think interesting work but coming here just made me rethink what I was interested in and the work became because of the situation I was in um, the work became really personal and that's kind of carried on and I remember when I started making the work I was a bit unsure. I was, I was kind of, oh, this is very personal. I'm not really sure if this is the right thing to do. But, you know, now I've, I've read quite a lot of things that say, actually, the most important thing about your work is to make it personal because that's what makes it interesting, you know, that it's about you because it can't be about anybody else. Yeah, and it's, it's for me, it's what connects people to certain work and not to others as Mm. well Mm. and it's that thing of um not creating work that pleases or speaks to everybody necessarily how did your work change then practically speaking from what you were doing before and what say what you do now like can can you do you have a timeline in your head Mm. yeah so when I um in my final year of my BA in Belfast, I, I did video and film. Um, and my final show was like a video installation piece, quite a big piece. And I really loved doing that. And then after that, I got a job in a little independent TV and film in Belfast for a year. Um, and they gave me a job as editor because all my work was very much in the editing process. I suppose that was my the skill basing in my work. And I worked there for a year and I kind of enjoyed it, but 
I kind of didn't because obviously you're it's not your material you're putting together someone else's we were making some tv programs and it's very hard work it's good experience but I think the most important thing I learned was that it wasn't really what I wanted to do but what I wanted to do was make my own work and it probably wasn't making film film or video anymore because while I was working there I was carrying on my own work in my free time and it was at that point I realized that actually what I needed to do was go back to making my work full-time and the best way to do that was to do a postgrad. So when I came to Reading, I think I had an idea that I probably wouldn't do film or video. And to be honest, the equipment here wasn't very good. So I kind of looked and thought, mm, okay. Um, and I've been doing kind of more installation stuff and quite site specific things, you know, using domestic spaces and the history of domestic spaces, that kind of thing. So I, I started working that way, making work with text as well. And I did some performance stuff, which I hadn't done before. So I tried a little bit of everything while I was here. But I mean, the, the content was very much about my dislocation, I suppose. When you say dislocation, do you mean your removal from Belfast to Reading? Yeah, definitely. And just feeling completely like an outsider I think it's this whole thing of home you know which I've came back to recently which well I suppose it's never really gone away but um feeling you know missing home a lot really missing home missing people and isolation you know like when I moved here I was living in halls of residence in Bullmarsh <laughs> that's you know, far that's Pardon? far from the fine art campus as well. It's not really. It's only a walk down. Oh, I suppose down, down Woodlands Road. Road. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had to live in halls of residence because I didn't know anywhere else. It's like, oh, this is the easiest thing. You know, I can just live in a hall of, halls of residence. And I didn't really get to know anybody from the fine art department. And I had my own room in the department, you know, like a little studio. And that was really nice. But most of the time I just closed the door and did my own thing. Just like crazy, really, isn't it? On my chorus, um, in my year, there was only six of us. Two of those people lived in London and commuted. So it was quite disjointed yeah. as, as a social experience yeah, as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it was only really in the second year I got to know people better and people from the incoming first year. So, yeah, I mean, I think kind of like the whole social thing was just really difficult and I think that you know it's looking back now it's, it's pretty obvious that that would have reflected in the work. I'm aware that for your work with the 12 artists at home residency with Jelly your theme was about Belfast and memories of home so do you I mean we'll talk about that in a little bit but do you still feel like dislocated makes it sound like you're broken <laughs> but I don't think that's I don't think that's it is it it's more of a do you see Reading as your home now um yes I do it's a very it's a very complicated thing though in terms of how I feel about Belfast because I think my thing is because I've now lived here longer than I I did in Belfast which is quite weird. I, I, you know, I feel quite weird about that. Um, and my my memories of Belfast are, you know, the bad old days, shall we say, mm. when I was growing up. You know, so I moved here before the Good Friday Agreement. So it's a very, my memories are of a very different place to how it is now. You know, um, so and, and part of it is when I go back and visit, it's not really a place I recognise. It is and it isn't, you know. I I go back and how I remember something isn't maybe the way it is now. I mean, like in most cities, you know, development and... Gentrification, but, yeah, yes. definitely gentrification. Yes. And evolving and the way that urban spaces change to adapt to people suddenly living in them in the centre mm-hmm. again rather than in the green outside spaces. I think that's really interesting as well 
so it's familiar but unfamiliar yes yes this outsider thing that I had when I moved here I now feel that when I go over there it's a very complicated relationship you know and in some ways I feel like I don't belong here but I I don't belong there either so I think there's like a there's like a kind of zone (laughs) (laughs) where do you belong where do you belong (laughs) yeah which I think that's kind of where the work comes from in a way I mean to be honest I think I've always felt like a bit of an outsider and that I think that's quite a common thing for artists anyway and when you have two places that one is very specifically far away from you, you your mind probably wanders a little mm-hmm. bit that way too. Is that what yeah. drew you to your your proposal for the 12 Artists at Home residency? Did you immediately think, because it was about lockdown and how artists work within lockdown, I really enjoyed that yours was actually focused as well on somewhere that was quite far away because my work's very much about my connection with home I suppose it came quite naturally in a way because I kept thinking about that word home and kind of analyzing what is home and before the the residency I'd been doing work about home anyway and then kind of talking to my parents on the phone you know and just thinking about how difficult it must be for them because they you know they don't have internet or anything like that no they live in the 80s then (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's like they just don't it's like you know smartphones that just so difficult for that generation to grasp and and everybody else is going oh let's have a zoom and they're they're just exactly trying to get a handle on what smartphone is yeah so yeah i just came up with this idea of, of making work about our relationship and and the the the, dis, the physical distance between us, but also the difficulty in kind of communicating, I suppose, and being able to physically see them, because obviously you know I couldn't go over there on an airplane, um, and I haven't I haven't been over from last November, you know, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to go again. I still think God, that's such a long time. I don't think. I don't think it's, there's been such a long time between visits. I do think about that a lot now. You know, and they're getting older and it's quite hard. So, um, yeah, the, the idea kind of came quite naturally, really. And this idea for them to take photographs of of their house, which is where I grew up, and then send them to me and I would make work using the photographs. You know... It was quite a risky strategy, really, because <laughs> I had to send them a disposable camera and then they took the photographs and then they sent the disposable camera back to me and I had to get it developed. I love how low-tech that is, though. I know, I know. I didn't really kind of take that in at the time, but I suppose it kind of connected with their kind of lack of technology. Yeah, and also, for me, it, it feels realer than this idea of saying, oh, take a, take a picture on a phone and just send it to me over the internet. Because there's a physical action that they have to do, it's yeah. it's much more connected to them than than just taking a photo, like a digital photograph. Yeah, my mum had said, oh, I can get... I, she could get my brother to take photographs of them. I was like, no, no, that's not what it's about. Yeah, I kind of wanted them to take photographs around the house, some of them with, the, you know, them in them, some without. Yeah, and then I got them developed. And I was like, oh, God, I don't think I can use these. Why not? Just, I, I think because the work I'm making at the minute, the images, I like a very strong image. The images then I got from the camera were all a bit skew with <laughs> um, and all a bit, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it just wasn't right. And, the, and I didn't feel like I wanted to use the photographs as they were to present them as the work. That didn't feel right either. So 
I kind of hemmed and hard a bit and thought, but I've kind of said I'm doing this. And then I just thought, this is ridiculous. You you can't pursue something if your heart's not in it and you don't feel it's the right thing. So actually I just, I think I, I did one work from one of the photographs. There's a picture of Cher and my dad sits in the living room. I quite like that, that seemed to work. So I did a piece of that and then I just thought, no. But maybe, um, maybe at some point in the future, something will come yes. from them. Yeah, because that's happened to me before quite a lot that I've, I've, I've had stuff that's kind of set around for a long time that I've not really been sure what I'm going to do with it. And then it suddenly emerges at the right moment and works even better. And I think that's uh, mm-hmm. that should be applauded because I also do the same thing. I have, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't do the same work as you do, mm-hmm. but I collect an awful lot of things that I regularly say are very important, and I'm not throwing away for a variety of reasons. I think, I think everything has its use. You just might not be the right time for it. Um, yeah. I'm intrigued by the photographs. Mm-hmm. I think some I think something will happen with the photographs in the future. There's there's all kinds of possibilities. I really am. I'm intrigued by the oh, photographs. When I, you... know, I think it's I, I, as I say, I don't know what I was expecting, but it just it just didn't fit with what my idea was. So, yeah. so what route did you take when you got the photographs and, and they didn't, it wasn't quite working? How do you as an artist then redirect yourself? I think I I pursued the idea in because it was all about the distance for me. That was the key thing, the distance. So I just started thinking of other ways of expressing that. Um, and... I kind of went back on uh, other motifs I'd, I'd, I'd used, and one of those was kind of stretches of water. Um, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say an image of water, for me, it's, there's a lot, so much in that. And one of my um, kind of connections to that is when, when I, I came here <clears throat> as a student, um, it was the days before flights were affordable. So I would have to get the ferry. On the boat with you. <laughs> On the boat, yep. Um, the ferry from, well, you had to go Belfast to Larne on a, a coach in Northern Ireland. And then from Larne to Stranor in Scotland uh, on the ferry. And then when you got off the ferry, you got a coach from Stranor to London, Victoria overnight. That's that's um, distance. That's a, a flipping distance. Yeah. And I, my complete pet here was the ferry. Yeah, because you could bet it would be rough. Well, so I've done that trip uh, with really? my kids. Yeah, many, many. So we did a, a trip from here to Wales to visit some family and then across to Ireland to visit some friends and then up to Northern Ireland to Larne across oh. to Scotland because my sister-in-law lives in the Highlands. Oh. which is amazing. The day we did it, I can't tell you, everyone was like, I've never seen it so calm. I've never <laughs> seen it so calm. So I have this weird idea. It was the most beautiful day. It was the greatest crossing and I hate ferries. And it was just absolutely glorious. But everyone I've spoken to since has been like, you had a charmed crossing with that one. It's yeah. really rough, apparently. Yeah. yeah, it's not that long. But yeah, it's not a great stretch of water. Um, and I think my worst experience was they introduced this thing called the sea cat. Yes, the oh, thing, the, the thing, thing that catamaran that floats yeah. over the top, except for it yeah. doesn't. And there was, I think it was at Easter time I came back in the first year. And the great thing about that, or supposedly the great thing, was it was quicker. So it was like, okay, I'll get that because it's a shorter journey. And it was the most horrendous boat trip of my life. There was people crying and screaming and praying and being sick 
and it was literally going up in the air and down. It flies, as from from what I know of it. It's if it's rough, it literally flies across, doesn't yes. it? Only yes. not because it's a boat. <laughs> And is the is and you can't go outside with that one either, no. Because no. that's my You're... saving grace on ferries. Yes, is you go outside, you get some fresh air, you can see the horizon, you don't throw up. Yes, exactly. But not on this blooming thing. Oh, so your relationship um... with water has been tainted. So <laughs> <laughs> and I still hit ferries. You know, it's I haven't been on one for a long, long time. And we were talking about going on holiday to France, and I was like, well. You know I don't like a ferry. <laughs> um, but I was eventually talked into it and actually it was all right. But uh, yeah, I've got very strong memories of travelling on ferries and all the smells as well on ferries. You know, it's like, um, oh, God, it just... Oh, it's horrible. Just it's not, not good. No, my husband so, my husband doesn't get seasick at all. At all. Gosh. So he'll he'll go... We've done numerous ferry crossings, one awful one across the Bay of Biscay, which was like two days, horrendous, horrendous. Um, And he trots off to the canteen or cafeteria area and has all the food in the world. And I'm just sitting there going, it's horrible. So I'm with you 100% on that. But I mean, ferries as well. I mean, that's how we used to go on holiday. You know, we used to get the Belfast to Liverpool ferry overnight um, and come on holiday to England uh, and go to Pontons. <laughs> that was every year we'd go to some different Pontons, but it was always on the Liverpool ferry and we would never have a bath. Uh, you'd have to sleep wherever. Um, I mean, as, as a kid, it was kind of, it was fine. But again, you know, that that was all part of the holiday, getting on the ferry. And it's kind of bookended by the hideous ferry. It's like, yay, yeah. you're going on holiday, <laughs> but you have to get on a ferry first. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, with um, with with your 12 artists at home residency, with you kind of, you refocused and you went along the route of looking at distance. And how many pieces did you do in the end? Oh. It was lots. You did loads. Oh, yeah. It just, one thing seemed to lead on from another. Because um, what I ended up doing was I started looking at different surfaces to draw on. So I was quite interested in not just the image, but what the image was on. And my mum's got this thing that she like sent me parcels and and envelopes of stuff in and that was I think that's where the link started it's like okay so this is there's something in this This, there's a relationship here that symbolizes something so I started saving all the wrapping from the parcels and the envelopes and things and started working on those so things like brown paper and tissue paper and the tissue paper actually I'm still I did a piece last week on tissue paper. It's a really interesting surface to work on. You get some interesting effects, things. I loved the history that came with them. You know, they're, they're embedded with their own history, aren't they? And I think certainly things like tissue paper. So my mum would send me a parcel in brown paper and then the thing inside, whatever it was, she'd wrap in tissue paper, but the tissue paper wasn't new tissue paper. It was tissue paper she'd have stored away from something else, which had been wrapped in something, you know, it had been used before. Yeah, yeah. So there was something very rich there, and the fragility as well. Mm. And it had travelled. It's travelled. Yeah. Yes. And and so, been uh, around something else before. It's wrapped around the yeah. thing that is wrapped around. My my yeah. I mean, I do that to be honest. I think yeah. it's a throwback from my mum and my nan always story. Yeah. I never throw away tissue paper. Mm. Because it can always be reused. Exactly. So that became quite a strong thing within the work. And it just, it gave it another, another element, I suppose, which I really liked. And what's really interesting about that, I think, as well, is in the context of lockdown, 
and being at home constantly, your your mum had probably sent you packages through the years. Yeah. Like under normal circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. But that wrapping didn't have as much resonance mm. as it suddenly did when you're forced to stay at home and you can't connect in any other way. It's that yeah. thing of, for me anyway, I don't know if it went as deep as this for you, but for me, if I'm missing someone, it's the last thing they touched. It's like you think about the things that they've actually, t- the person has oh, touched really nice. those things. Yeah. And it's that connection. That's why I like the, you know, as much as you didn't use them, the fact that your parents were taking photographs on a disposable camera mm. because they did that physical thing. I think that's really yeah. interesting. Just going back to your work now and your previous work, you said that you worked largely in installation and film before, but your work that you've been doing that I know of most recently is drawing and obviously the beautiful piece of embossed work that I own. Very happy about that. <laughs> Where did that change come in? I think it was a practical thing, really, because I took quite a long break when I wasn't exhibiting. Mm. I always kind of kept little notebooks and ideas and things like that. But yeah, there was quite a long break when I didn't, I didn't make work shall we say. Mm. And I suppose Um, making large installation work is one of those brilliantly practical things when you're at university and college but in the real world finding because I've seen pictures of your I think is it your MFA piece it's got beautiful light coming through it. There are two yeah it's my MFA show two I made two huge crates. Yeah. And yeah, there's a big there's a big space up at the fine art department, it's a big maintenance shed. And I was lucky enough to get that. So yeah, it was kind of big old singing, dancing stuff. And as you say, when you leave art college, it's then quite difficult to carry on doing that. You know, and as I said, a lot of my stuff was very site specific. So it's yeah, I didn't make it easy for myself, really. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I when I after I kind of came back from from a break, having children, working full-time. It was working out how I could make work in a small space at home, really. And I hadn't drawn properly for a long, long time. And I just felt it was something that I needed to get back to. And I liked the idea of kind of getting that skill back, I suppose. You know, even in the MFA course, I hadn't really drawn. I'd had notebooks of ideas and, you know, I'd sketch like little drawings of how an installation would look, but I didn't really draw per se. I hadn't really done that since the early years of my BA. So that's quite a long time ago. So I liked the idea of kind of going back and honing that skill. And I kind of took it from there. So that's really where the drawing came from. It was it was a needs it was a needs must, I suppose. You know, this is the space I've got, this is the time I've got. I'm gonna do that. And it's just grown from there. And I think it's a it's you know, as you say, a needs must situation, but it's also the need to for me anyway, to be creative in some form and fitting that into the space that you're in. And do you see yourself evolving or experimenting with any other mediums in the future? Is there anything that you have a burning desire to really have a go at? My work is very restless, I think. And I do like to try out new things. But at the moment, I'm, I think because I'm still, I'd say I'm still learning how to draw again. I feel I just need to keep working on that at the moment. I mean, I have done other things like the embossing and I recently did a little piece, uh, Modern Art Oxford. They did this open call on the theme of breathing. So I did this, did a photograph I submitted for that and it was a sound that went with that. And that was quite interesting to do. But I think at the minute just... 
all my ideas just seem to be I'm thinking of drawings <laughs> I'm thinking that way and I can't seem to get out of that at the minute which isn't a bad thing it's just that's just the way I'm thinking well it's just and for one now thing leads on from another mm. it, it's a it's it feels like a continuation of 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 a journey that you're on mm. Um, you mentioned in your Zoom uh, talk with us, which uh, was obviously on video rather yeah. than just the audio, um, <laughs> that you you don't you don't keep sketchbooks. Well, I do, but they're not sketchbooks of pretty drawings, shall we say? There's a lot of words, and then I'll just sketch out what something's going to look like. So, not sketchbooks in the traditional sense where. How do you explain it? I know, I, I find it difficult to explain. You know, well, I went to see the Anthony Gormley show earlier in the year. Now, there's somebody who loves a sketchbook and it's just, his ideas are all completely visual, aren't they? You know? Yeah. Um, and you can see him working through. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm not like that. I, I, I don't know why, but it's funny, one of the one of the things my mum sent me over the whole lockdown period was she was obviously trying to clear out the house, but she sent me all my sketchbooks from like O level and A level. Oh wow! I know. I was quite pleasantly surprised by some of it. I was like, oh, actually, that's that's quite good. And then Oliver was like, oh god, that's <laughs> bad. But um, what have you done with them all? Oh no, they're here. They're all stacked in the corner. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, we should put that on Instagram. Oh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> I, I've got all those. And then I have got, you know, um, sketchbooks from like foundation and the start of my BA. We are very much encouraged to do that sort of thing. Um, and they are full of, because I was, when I started the BA, I was painting. Because uh, that's when foundation I decided, I've, I've been there, I've done everything. That's me. I've covered every. <laughs> You name the medium, I've done it. Um, yeah, because in foundation, I was very convinced I was going to be a painter. And that's what I applied to do. I applied to do painting and got in, obviously. But, um, yeah, and, and what is it quite interesting is then I got in and the first things I did were these huge pastel drawings. <laughs> um, and I never painted again. <laughs> I love it. So you're kind of you, you do this, you do the medium and you get in and, and you're like, oh, yes, I'm definitely going to do that. Oh, no, hang on a minute. No, I think I think have a go at that instead and change yeah. it. It's versatile, yeah. Heather. That makes you feel better. It's great. <laughs> I love it. It, I, it, I appeal, it appeals to me, my, my flippity jibbit nature also. <laughs> I think the thing is, I um, in art college, I just kind of kept finding more interest what I thought were more interesting things to do so you know kind of like I went in I thought oh I'm going to be a painter and then I discovered because the whole installation performance type work was really kind of starting to emerge and that really grabbed my attention and the whole text thing as well I started doing that kind of work and in Belfast, there, there still wasn't really a, a, a proper term for that kind, type of work. So they called it time-based studies. I know. Could there be anything sounding more boring? No. <laughs> but I remember coming across the time-based studies room. And it was like, oh, my God, this is fascinating. You know, there's people doing sign, there's people doing video. And it, it was just... That's amazing. They just didn't have the words for it. I know that makes me feel really old <laughs> <laughs> and me I never so that's time-based studies who came up with that I'll see the head of the time-based studies <laughs> department <laughs> well it obviously but grabbed like, your attention like, you know the whole idea is like art doesn't need to be something on a page and you know I just had to go in there and that's when I you know I thought oh Oh, making films and videos, uh, doing sound, and yeah, so that's where that that came from. It's really interesting, <laughs> really interesting. If if you weren't an artist, what what could you see yourself doing? 
Mm. So when I was making university choices for university courses, I was very conflicted because I I loved art and you know did art at school and had this idea I might like to do it, but I also loved books and I loved drama and part of me wanted to be an actor as well. So um, I did two university applications because you could in those days, it was like the art and design application process and then there was everything else. I, me too, I did too. I did too and I, I did uh, drama and criminology. That was That's my second. <laughs> No, I, I have no explanation for it. I wanted to be a set designer or a forensic scientist. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's quite weird. So what were your two? So yeah, I applied to do, well, I applied to do um, theatre studies. Trying to think where that, I can't remember where that was. And then like fine art foundation course and with foundation I just got straight in on a portfolio without an interview and I was like wow they want me and I just thought okay I'll go with that and just decided I'd just leave the drama behind which was quite difficult because I had I had done quite a lot of acting I'd been in all school plays and I was in um Northern Ireland Youth Theatre. Very which impressive. Was like, which was like the kind of Northern Ireland equivalent of National Youth Theatre. So that was really good. What, but, t- what tipped your, what tipped the balance? I, I think it was just, it could have been my laziness that I just thought <laughs> I've got in and I better go for it. Because if I don't get the grades, then I might get into these other ones. And to be honest, you know, I found out I got into foundation before I did my A-level exams. So at that point, I just did nothing. (laughs) I don't need to work now. I'm fine. I'm in. I just worked really hard on my art because that's what I was going to do. So, yeah, I think, you know, as that suggests, I I love theatre. It's kind of like my other love and... I did stop going to the theatre for a long, long time. And I think part of that was I really feared that if I went there and experienced it all again, I'd think, oh, my God, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. <laughs> so this, this is really interesting. I did end up doing a drama degree and uh, I stopped going to the theatre for a long time because I couldn't stop myself seeing how it was made. Oh, so you know how I also did this when I did uh, my English um, A level. I stopped reading for ages after English A level because you, I just I remember just studying the words so much and the meaning, potential meaning behind the words. That it, it's I, enjoyment. Yeah, I lost all enjoyment of it, and it was exactly the same with drama. It took me a really, really long time. I mean, a really long time to be able to go to the theatre and not look up at all of the <laughs> all of the people or or know, you know, thinking, oh, well, that that would have been workshopped in this way or that would have been workshopped in, in that way. So maybe you did yourself a favour. I mean, I, I love it, you know, and I really miss going now. It's one of the things I really miss. Because when I had children, it was, what I used to do was go to London by myself and go to... Saturday matinee and it was kind of a way of finding myself again you know it was lovely because I love that thing of you know just sitting there in this dark space and you know just totally immersed in what's going on and nobody knows who you are you could be anybody you know you really lose yourself in it it's quite a special thing in that case has that been one of the things that you've really missed during lockdown very much so, yeah. And it's interesting because I used to go by myself because we're having small children, you know, me and my husband couldn't go together, you know, getting a babysitter and all that sort of thing. Plus also, as you say, going anywhere on your own when you have small children is a delight. 
It's absolutely joy. <laughs> like sit there and not be interrupted <laughs> and just be like, oh. yeah, have a drink at the interval. Yeah, um, wonderful. Um, but as the kids got older, um, what I did was then my son became really interested. Well, one of my boys became really interested in drama, so I started taking him with me. So it'd be like our little day out together, go and see stuff, and then eventually my other son kind of was like, oh, okay, I'll come along. So we'd start going as a family and seeing stuff. And that was really, really nice, making a day off up. And I really missed that. It's so nice to learn a little bit more about you as a person and an artist, just delving into your work a little further. Do you have a typical day as a, as an artist at work? Yeah. Usually, um, as soon as the kids have gone off to school, I'll sit and have a coffee and read for a bit. That's Unless I'm having to be somewhere early, which doesn't happen very often. It's a really nice start to the day, actually. And I don't read for very long, like half an hour or something like that. I'll do that, then I'll go and get ready, and then I'll kind of come in my studio and and crack on stuff and do you find what you're reading informs what you're doing very much so so this morning I posted a little piece on Instagram from the book I'm reading I saw it did you see it yes I'm going to buy it on um because it it sounds great yeah so um I've discovered this author recently called um I've got the book sitting there it is um this author called Rebecca Songwitz um, and I'd read a book of hers called The Far Away Nearby which I really really enjoyed um, and in that book it's very much about telling stories um, and then this book is called A Field Guide to Getting Lost and her whole thesis is in life you should embrace the unknown, go out and actively seek it because it will enrich your life. But as an artist, her writing just really speaks to me and she uses examples of artists and writers in her work. So in the far away nearby, she one of the people she talks about is Georgia O'Keeffe because uh, the far away nearby is how she used to sign her letters to friends. Uh, oh. So it would be from Georgia O'Keeffe from the far away nearby. So it was by the distance, you know, between her and her friends. I, I didn't I didn't realise that because Georgia O'Keeffe lived in New Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. 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 Which is quite far away yes. from yeah. anywhere. She removed herself. Yeah. yeah. And in this book, she one of the people she talks about is Eve's Klein. Um and in particular um that work of his where he it's the photograph, the leap into the void, you know, he's kind of leaping yes. into the air. Um and she uses that as you know, his investigation in his work about embracing the unknown because that was I mean, he was very into kind of mystical thinking and stuff like that. But his way of, of enlightenment, for want of a better word, she kind of says that really this is what artists should be doing, is they should be taking a leap in the dark, really, embracing the unknown, because that's where the great work comes from. And this is very interesting, given our initial conversation about you yeah. choosing Reading as a... I know. I know. As your MFA. It's really weird because that's exactly... This morning when I was getting red, I... And I'd kind of done that post. And then I started thinking about... And I was like, oh, my God. I felt quite emotional, actually, because it's like, that's exactly what I did. You know, and I... I, Okay, it was difficult, but I think good things came from that. It's really it's really interesting as well that someone else has written it down and you when you when you read it and you connect with it in that way. 
But it's like that with anything. And that's why I think reading and speaking to people and conversations are so important. Because I do remember when you spoke, when we, when we were just talking about the way that you use sketchbooks. And I think a lot of people don't define themselves as an artist because they don't necessarily use the same tools and techniques that are mm. on display in a lot of places. And it's actually you don't have to follow that route. Yeah. You can, yeah. you make up your own way of doing it and whatever works for you is, mm-hmm. is the way that it works for you. Yeah. And I think hearing more about people's different ways of working is, is really inspirational as well. I'm going to buy the book. It sounded great. So we've spoken a lot about the, the, your journey through the different ways that you've worked and the different mediums that you've worked in. Um, do you, can you distill your work into three words? I think the first thing I think of is personal. You know, as I, I was saying earlier, I kind of worried about that for a long time. Because I remember when I was younger, it was like, I always felt like, you know, work needs to be universal. And actually I think that's rubbish, you know? No one, no one can experience or feel what everybody else is thinking or feeling. It's just impossible. The only thing you can do is be you and be kind of truthful. I think it was Louise Bourgeois, who I absolutely love, said, you know, tell your story and you will be interesting. That's an amazing quote. Yes. And that's coming from somebody who made very, very personal work. But I think the great thing is when you look at it, you don't have to know her very personal story to really be affected by it or feel something for it. You Mm. can just read your own story into that. And I think that's what makes a great a great piece of work really it's highly personal but it's also incredibly open so that's the first one that's the first one restless in terms of trying lots of different things and again I I sometimes think about that in a negative way I think of something like Instagram which is absolutely brilliant it's a great tool for artists great way to get your work out there sell work as well but sometimes I see artists who seem to be doing the same thing over and over and over again and it drives me slightly mad I mean if that's what they want to do that's fine but it would drive me nuts and I would just be really bored but I think there is a certain pressure to be instantly recognisable you know there's that artist oh I know what they do, they do this Mm. and labelled and categorised and I like to resist that. Um, and I like artists as well who who kind of don't stand in one place. And so personal, restless, is there a third? Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? In, so not in terms of difficult for the viewer, difficult for me in that I think I go out of my way, as I've said before, to make my life difficult Uh, because I don't really like repeating myself. And it's kind of going back to that exploration of the unknown, you know, the step in the dark. That's what I'm interested in, which isn't always easy. It's, It's the more difficult path to tread. Um, yeah absolutely and as we've said before in this conversation it's it's the braver route potentially to take but leaping into the unknown is absolutely not mm. a simple undertaking I mean for me it's I suppose one way to explain it is that every so often I'll do some drawings of trees which I really enjoy doing and they go down very well and I could do them till the cows come home. You know, it's kind of, I find it like comfort drawing. But for me to do that every single day, and for that to be the only thing I did, would just be of no benefit to me whatsoever. Because I just need to do other things. I need to explore other ideas and other ways of working. 
I mean, and that's that's one of the reasons I started doing the self-portrait drawings that the series that I've started doing recently, that I find it really hard. And it's like, here's something I need to work on. And I've just got a lot from. And and challenging yourself in that way is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to take yourself out of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a reoccurring thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. It's like, it's really interesting the way we, we began talking about that brave mm. leap into the unknown and and as we we're beginning to end the conversation we're we're also talking about the the brave leap into the unknown mm. still which is great well this has been brilliant and it's been so lovely to talk to you so thank you just to finish up i'd like to just just to invite you to uh, tell us what your dream dinner party would be who your guests would be <laughs> if if you were it doesn't have to be a dinner party yeah you could, you know, maybe a soiree. A soiree. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. In my head, I suddenly had you visualised on a boat somewhere. Oh. Don't know why. No, 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 no boats. No boats. <laughs> oh yes, of course, no boats. Oh my goodness! I can't believe in my head I had you on a ferry. Um, it was actually on like a rowboat down the Thames. Uh, so, if you were to have a dream dinner party. Who would you invite? Oh, my goodness. And as I said before, it doesn't have to be a dinner party. It can be a soiree, yeah. picnic. Picnic, okay. Um, that's hard because there's so many people. Oh, um, Number one has to be Mr. Boy. Has to be. <laughs> Pretty obvious, probably. I'm sure a lot of people would say that, you know, just... He's just one of those people I just find endlessly fascinating and just a real inspiration as an artist in lots of ways because he's certainly somebody who didn't make his life easy. No. Trying lots of different things. Changing constantly. (laughs) Constantly changing, yes. Ch-ch-changes. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Well, that's what this podcast Um, is named, you know, in honour of. I know, I love it. The lovely Perfect. Mr. Bowie. Uh, that's yeah. good. Good start. Yeah. Good start. You can just sit and look at him because he's yeah. so beautiful. Um, and then I think I'd have to have the Holy Trinity, which would be um, Paddy Smith, Nick Cave, and PJ Harvey. This this is shaping up to be quite a shindig. A bit serious, but that's fine. Um, who else? So that's four. I really like Simon Stevens. He's um, he's a playwright. Um, he's kind of most famous for doing the stage adaptation of the curious incident ah yes 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 Um, i haven't seen it but it looked amazing but he's he's really funny he did a a brilliant series for the royal court talking to other playwrights which was excellent and he's just really funny as well he's very interesting very knowledgeable but uh, very human he's got the most fantastic laugh uh, I think he'd be pretty good, actually. He sounds like he would be a good. He would he would interject some uh, some potential humour. Yes, I, <laughs> I I think that's that would be good. And oh, now I'm, I'm kind of um, I'm in a dilemma because I really like Louis Theroux, good and choice. I really like John Ronson. But Louis would be great in this situation, though. He'd yeah. sort of move between them. Yeah. Discussing. So maybe it's not so much a dinner party as a kind of kitchen disco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because John Ronson kind of always says he's a complete introvert. So maybe he wouldn't enjoy it, actually. Though he'd have some really good stories. He would. But maybe just, you know, you go out for a coffee with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Let's go with Louis. Oh, I think that's brilliant. I I I think that's a really good lineup. <laughs> Is that six? That's six. Yeah, David Bowie, Patti Smith, Nick Cave, PJ Harvey, Simon Stevens, the Louis Theroux. Oh, that's who one. you've got. Oh. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for for chatting to me it's been lovely and it's been really interesting learning a bit more about your work as well thank you it's an absolute pleasure really good fun excellent thanks for listening and if you want to find out more about jelly the best way is to check out our insta facebook or twitter feeds using the handle at the jelly reading and keep your ears out for the next episode of sound and vision coming soon Jelly's 12 Artists at Home residency was funded by the Arts Council England using money from the National Lottery. So now on to my chat with Heather McAteer, an artist based in Reading but originally from Belfast and one of our 12 Artists at Home 